Thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron, our praise band, for leading us in worship today. We're glad you're here today. Would you find the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles? Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles will be chapter 11, reading verses 15 through 23. But uh, we're glad you're here today, 15 through 25. But uh, good to see you today. Listen, it is one of my favorite Sundays because of the extra hour sleep. We were packed in the first service. Now, I don't know if that's people that they, all, they got up anyway, so they decided to come on. Or uh, they thought they were coming to Sunday school and just came on into worship. But uh, we had a good crowd this morning. Good to see you today. Good crowd today. And uh, we're glad. You want, to, uh, you want to make plans to be sure to be here. Listen, special Sundays all the way coming to the end of the year. And uh, uh, you, have, you have done well in your attendance. Thank you for your faithfulness. We want to continue on. Be faithful to the Lord. Next Sunday, Dr. Richard Ross Southwestern professor from Southwestern Seminary is going to be here speaking. He's spending Saturday with our uh, students, with our youth, and then going to uh, be preaching here Sunday morning. So you, you will not want to miss him. Uh, uh, some bias there, I guess, about half of our ministerial staff, all our uh, graduates attending or alumni of Southwestern, yours truly being one of those. And, uh, but I encourage you to come next week and then Family and Friend Days the next. You've heard that announced. Always a great time to come to be together, hear testimonies in our worship services, be eating together, Thanksgiving meal, family Thanksgiving meal uh, be happening there. Lots of stuff happening. You've got it all listed there, but uh, looking forward to all that the Lord uh, is doing. But we're glad you're here today, and we're in First Chronicles. Yes, I said Chronicles, Old Testament book. Going to be in verse chapter 11, begin reading in verse 15. This now is the Word of God. Three of the thirty chief men went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adullam when the army of the Philistines were encamped in the valley of Raphaim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the thirty. And he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzil, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall, the Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. But Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name besides these th beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. I'm sure that if you've ever traveled, and I'm sure you have down I-65 on the way to Mobile or perhaps to Gulf Shores, you probably have seen there around the Conecuh store, Conecuh Sausage store, they have a sign out there, they did, that said, cleanest restrooms on I-65. And uh, 
I've heard, though, from uh, the priesters, pecan people, that before you get there, even from employees there, they believe their restrooms are cleaner than the folks at the Conecuh Sausage Company. Well, all I can say is if Bucky's ever decides to put uh, there on I-65 going down that way, they'll probably have a run for their money as well. And you, Parkway Baptist Church, you have the reputation of having some of the best restrooms of any church in Auburn. Congratulations, you've done it, you've done well. We recognize over the, since I've been your pastor over these past few years, we have refurbished, we have redone, or we have built five sets of men's and women's restrooms. I know that we're proud about that, that we're able to be able to do that, call that certainly as, listen, I'm pretty sure, I know that that's true because I'm pretty sure that the FedEx people, the UPS and the USPS drivers all decide and they plan their driving so that they can stop and use our facilities. Also, Miss Donna always gives them a cup of cold water, or a bottle of water as they uh, come through. Now, you recognize today, I'm giving this a little bit tongue-in-cheek because uh, uh, while, yes, our restrooms are nice, feel free to check them out after the service today. Listen, you've, you've had plenty of time beforehand. But, uh, uh, but we recognize that the Lord has done much more through you uh, at Parkway Baptist Church. We want to be known, not for having the nicest or the best restrooms in town, but we want to be known by being Bible-believing, uh, Christ-centered, driven by ministry and missions with the purpose of loving more people, loving one another, and bringing more people to Jesus. I think we're well on our way. Could we improve? Certainly. Should we be reminded of our mission and our ministry and our focus for today? Certainly that is true. I think we have a passage that's going to help us to do just that if we'll pay attention to it today. We're back in First Chronicles, continuing our trek through God's Word. If you've ever tried to memorize the books of the Bible, then you probably come across, you just have to remember there's three twins in the Bible. There's First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles sometimes gets a bad rap because if you just glance at the first nine or ten chapters of this, you find name after name of Hebrew people and the uh, land in which they were to inhabit and that they were given in the promised land. Now, it's called Chronicles. So they're chronicling, of course, the things that have happened, celebrating what God has done uh, through these people. But just a few weeks ago, we actually looked at that prayer of Jabez that is found among the, all those names that are listed there as well. But Chronicles also has some of the same stories, and in addition to some of the, say, the stories, they give additional stories of the things that happened in First and Second King and in First and Second Samuel, sometimes with other details that come along. But in First and Second Chronicles, it does a little bit more of a focus on the tribe of Judah and the ancestry, beginning with David, of course, which includes the messianic line that is going to be where the Messiah would be born. Today's passage, it's also found in 2 Samuel with a few extra details. We've not discussed this text before, at least from this pulpit, but we're, we're going to talk about David and his mighty men. It might help us to be able to at least think about these three numbers, 400, 3, and 30. Now, these are not lottery numbers, but these are numbers to help us identify what we can learn about David and his men. In 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2, it says this, All those who are in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he, talking about David, became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, this describes David before he became king, when he was on the run from King Saul. 
and as he was, David was not afraid of Saul, but David did not want to fight against his countrymen, and he certainly did not want to have to touch or to harm God's anointed king. We know from a couple of passages that David had opportunity to take down Saul, even to kill Saul, but he did not. But this passage that we have in 1 Samuel 22 describes David while he moved from place to place, cave to cave sometimes, and uh, while he was on the run before he became king, some of the people and the kinds of people that came to him. They were in distress or in debt or discontented. Has that ever described you? Well, these are the kinds of people that came to David. Had 400 men, and these became some of the great warriors or some of the great men who were ready to do battle with David. God used David, and the Lord's hand was on David and his men. They probably didn't look like much of warriors when they first came to David, if this is what describes them. But I'm pretty sure when the 12 disciples were first called by Jesus, they probably didn't look like much until they had an encounter with Christ and God used them uh, to share and to the, proclaim the gospel around the world. Not long after this, Scripture says David's men of 400 turned into 600. And then after he became the king of Israel, he had thousands, if not tens of thousands and even more. But there were some, after David became king, who became the best of the best, or the elite of the elite. We read 1 Chronicles 11 a moment ago, begin the verse 15. I want you to look back up. If you've got your Bibles open, we'll also have them on the screen. Verses 10 and 11. It says, Now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men, who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This is an account of David's mighty men. Joshobim, a Hakmonite, was chief of the three. He wielded a spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. Now here was a fellow by the name of Joshobim. Bless you, you've read this passage before, maybe never heard his name. He became the top dog of all of David's men. He's called the chief of the three. He had a great reputation as an example. The writer tells us that he killed 400 of the enemy at one time. So David has his three. Maybe like Jesus had Peter, James, and John, who seemed to be the closest to Jesus, who were ready to fight for Jesus, by the way, but Jesus had a different kind of battle in mind. Hopefully uh, you can hold that thought for just a moment. And then there were the 30. Remember our numbers, 400? There were the three. And then there's the 30. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 15, we read it a moment ago. It says, three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adullam when the army of the Philistines was encamped in the valley of Raphaim. The 30 seems to be a title to a group of men who were among the best of the fighters and the leaders in David's army. The list of the 30 is given several times in the scriptures. It's almost, well, it's never exactly 30. Sometimes it's 29, sometimes it's 37. If you add the three who are closest to him into that number, then the number's even different. But it was not so much about the 30 being an exact number, but it was about the reputation of the 30 that made a difference. They were well known for their loyalty to David, to the kingdom, and for their readiness to go to battle. Hopefully already you're probably seeing where we're going with this. So, so as I've read and I've studied along this passage, I begin to notice the repetition about reputation. I begin to notice the repetition about reputation. I want to point it out to you. Here in chapter 11, verse 9, it says about David. David became greater and greater. His reputation became great, still is today. Abishai, one of the 30, 
It says in verse 20 that he won a name beside the three. In verse 21, it says that he was the most renowned. And then there's a fellow by the name of Benaiah. We read this about a moment ago. Verse 22 says he was a doer of great deeds. In verse 24, it says he won a name beside the three. Also in verse 25, he was renowned among the 30. And then in verse 26, we read through verse 25 a moment ago. If you got your Bibles, you might notice there's, then there's a list of names. But it begins with, the mighty men were. Talking about these, they had a reputation of being mighty men. So the question that I have as I'm reading through this, I'm asking about the passage. and Well, how did these men have such a good reputation? But then I also want to ask the question, well, how can... What kind of reputation does the church need to have? What kind of reputation do I need to have? Some churches certainly don't need to know for winning battles or fighting battles, although some churches are known for exactly that. But you also want to ask, what do, you, what do you want to be known for? Would you take these next few minutes and let's walk through this passage, this chapter, asking the question, how will you be known? You hopefully you see some notes that were given there. If not, they'll be here on the screen for you here, and you can copy down or at least think about them as we go along. But there'll be, there's some repetition there, you might notice. There's some blanks there. And there may be some things that you ask about the passage that you want to make it more personal, perhaps, about how you want to be known. And you'll recognize that it has nothing to do with what we think about ourselves or promoting self, but it's about promoting Jesus. You notice, if you got your notes there, it says something about Jesus there. And then it's got the word by so that we might have to ask, well, if we want to be known by this, how are we going to be known for certain things that have to do with Jesus? Such as, give you an example. Um, so we want to be known for loving Jesus. Well, that's, uh, it's not one of the blanks. Maybe it should be. We're going to let the Scripture speak for us. But if you want to be known, well, how are you going to do that? By what? So hopefully you're with us here as we kind of make our way for it. First Chronicles chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. We're going to pay close attention to this particular chapter. Verse 12 says, And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Now that's a name, isn't it? The Ahohite. He was with David at Pastamim when the Philistines were gathered there for battle. There was a plot of ground full of barley, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot, defended it, and killed the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. So David seems to always be, the Israelites always be fighting the Philistines. On this particular battle, every man fled. But this guy by the name of Eleazar, he came and stood his ground. Scripture says what happened? He killed them all. How many were there? Well, we're not told how many were, but there must have been enough that uh, everyone else fled. So it must have been a pretty good number. And this is just an example of Eleazar, who was one of the three. But this is what you need to notice. We read it there. It's there. Look at the very last phrase in verse 14. It says, And the Lord saved them by a great victory. So Eleazar, one of the three, did a great job. But who gets the credit? As it should be, God got the credit. If you notice in chapter 11, verse 9, 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 9, to where it says, And David became greater and greater. For the Lord of hosts was with him. The men saw, another saw, God is with David. It wasn't about David or his men, it was about God that they served. So how do you want to be known? I think first and foremost you want to be known for honoring the name of Jesus by your words, by your actions, and by your attitudes. 
We want to be known for honoring the name of God. It's not about you or me. It's about our Savior. We want His name to be praised. Church wants to be known for pointing people to Jesus and honoring His name. You and I want to live God-honoring lives. Now, feel free, because this is kind of an interactive thing that we're doing here, though I'm doing all the talking, but feel free to kind of interject a verse here, maybe that talks about praising God, or maybe a psalm, or maybe a psalm that you could just think of maybe for just a moment. You remember it's John the Baptist who's known for saying, I must decrease, but he must increase. And it's almost ironic that it is the one for whom we want to praise and give honor to who is the one who is our best example that said, I came not to be served, but to serve. He was our example. How about the psalmist who said, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. And the psalm that goes along with that, he is worthy to be praised from the rising of the sun until the going down of the saints. He's worthy. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy to be praised. We sang about it here today in this service. We could probably just camp out right here for a while. But my favorite part actually of this passage is when the three of the 30 come to David while he is in the place called the rock, which is a cave where he had set up a fortress so that he might be ready to do battle with the Philistines again. This time they've surrounded Bethlehem. And uh, David perhaps in preparation, you know Bethlehem, it's where David was raised. It's his hometown. It's the reason that Mary and Joseph had to go and to take the, go take the census there in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. You know Bethlehem. David loved Bethlehem. And perhaps weary of battle or weary of what, you know, that uh, Bethlehem's been surrounded by the Philistines. He says in verse 17, longingly, maybe he didn't even know he said it aloud. Have you ever said something you didn't know? Oh, did I say that out loud? Or maybe just in a whisper, he said, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Three of the 30 were close enough to hear David that night, and they went out to get David a drink from the well at Bethlehem by the gate. Surrounded by the Philistines. So what did they have to do? The three fought and battled in order to be able to get into Bethlehem. To be able to come to the well, drew some water for David, and then had to battle back out so that they might be able to come and be able to give David some water. David didn't command it. He did not even ask for it. I'm not sure he even knew anybody heard him speak. But such was the love and respect for David, even a whisper became his greatest command. Here's what we do not know, the three that it's talking about here. Was this the three of the 30 or this part of the three? Because there's not an article that is used here. Perhaps it was just three of the 30, and these are just the kind of things and the kind of reputation that they had. Before we talk about what King David did with the water, let's be sure that we see this passage. From this passage, our king, the king of kings, the Lord Jesus, his smallest word, even his whisper, becomes our greatest command. Oh, what can I do to please Jesus today? The loyalty of these three to King David should represent our loyalty to Jesus. We should be close enough to Jesus that even if he just whispers or to be able to hear that small, still voice, we know what he wants. Boy, many people, even if he's shouting, could not hear. But how often do we justify doing something or not doing something maybe because we think there's not a direct command about it in the Bible when we know what it is that would please Jesus or we should know? 
May we be courageous enough to follow the Lord's command even at the risk of life, limb, reputation, or whatever. Did you notice what David did with the water? He refused to drink it, he poured it out. Read again, because I want you to see if there's application for us. In verse 18, it says, Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord. Well, seems kind of ungrateful at first, but it wasn't. It was in recognition and appreciation of their loyalty. He took the water and he turned the cave into a temple. Notice the last phrase of verse 18. What does it say? He poured it out to the Lord. The water became a drink offering to the Lord and at that time represented the blood that they were willing to shed to serve God's anointed king. The writer of Chronicles did not know it perhaps at that time. But we recognize the sacrifice of Jesus' blood on the cross is also called a drink offering. When we partake of the cup, when we partake of communion, we recognize we're remembering the drink offering of Jesus. You see, David recognized the greatness of their willingness to sacrifice their lives for a cup of cold water. And David took the cup and made it into something greater. Mother Teresa once said, probably been quoted many times, we cannot do great things, she said, only small things with great love. Jesus said he will reward acts of kindness even to the least of his people, even if it's what? Even if it's just a cup of cold water given in his name. Jesus takes what little we can do in loyal service and makes it into something greater. Notice again what David said in verse 19. He said, in, he said, For be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink. Notice this last verse. These things did the three mighty men. As if to say, this is just one of the things they did. They did these kind of things uh, all the time. And these are the kinds of things that they did who were loyal as if to say they were known for their service and their respect to David. You want to. You want to be known for serving and worshiping Jesus by pursuing more of Him. Serving and worshiping Jesus by pursuing more of Him. The closer you are to Jesus, the greater opportunity you have to know what pleases Him. You want to be worshiping. You want to be ready to worship. Once we come worship, I don't just mean being here on Sunday, but genuine heartfelt worship that we also have during the week in our personal time. Then we'll be ready to be able to serve Him and know what pleases Him. We uh, read a moment ago about the chief of the 30 in verse 21, Abishai. He won a name. Feats of heroism are given. There's another in verse 22 who did something interesting. Look at verse 22, 1 Chronicles. If I said Corinthians many times. 1 Chronicles, verse 22 says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kebzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen. Here's this guy, also one of the 30. He's a valiant man, he's courageous. Struck down the heroes of Moab, some of the enemies of Israel. 
And did you notice what else? He killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now I've got to ask you, when you think of Israel or you think of the Middle East, or do you usually think of lions running around in the snow? Uh, I think the reason that this is mentioned because it was so unusual. Uh, but also don't think of this as here's a lion that's stuck in a pit and stuck in the snow, therefore he's easy pickings or he's an easy target. No, I think the picture here that he wants to see is this a guy is stuck in a pit with a lion. And it's a cold, snowy day. You think I find obscure passages and make a big deal out of it. I heard a sermon one time on this particular passage. Just the last part of this verse, he killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. And here was the outline. Worst of enemies, a lion. In the worst place, a pit. Under the worst circumstances, a cold, snowy day. And God gave him the victory. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, we must be careful not to spiritualize every passage, but this does represent God giving victory in difficult circumstances. And the devil does prowl around like a roaring lion. And on the days that you feel like you're in a pit and there's no way out. On days that seem so cold and that you seem so alone, you're under the worst of circumstances spiritually or physically, you can know this, that God does not leave you alone. And if you're a child of God, nothing can snatch you out of the hand of God. The devil cannot steal your soul. But you can be sure that the devil sure wants to take away your witness. He wants to take away your opportunities to be able to work in the kingdom as well as your influence on others. Thus you want to be known. You want to be known for your faithfulness to Jesus by your perseverance and difficulties. Be known for your by your be known for your faithfulness to Jesus by your perseverance and difficulties. Stay faithful and staying close to Jesus in your personal pursuit of him. Don't disregard your fellowship with other believers, that you have others who are with you in this journey, and certainly don't disregard your worship with other believers. Your greatest leaps of renewing or growing in your faith will happen when you remain faithful during the difficult times. Read with me again, 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 23. Verse 23. There it says, And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. But Benaiah went down to him with a staff, snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. It's, it's a fairly graphic picture. But maybe we need to be reminded again that we recognize that today our enemies are not flesh and blood. But here's an Egyptian. He's seven and a half feet tall with a huge spear. One of David's men goes to fight him with only a staff. He snatches the giant's spear and kills the giant. Who does this remind you of? But when David went to face Goliath, he also had a slingshot with him, didn't he? But he did have a staff. In fact, you might remember what, the Goliath, what Goliath said to David. He said, who is this runt that comes at me with only a stick? I think when the writer of Chronicles wrote this, he knew that we were going to be reminded of David and Goliath when David first comes on the scene. He's taking food to his brothers who are in the Israeli army. They're serving Saul, and there they're battling again. The Philistines, 
And there's David, there's Goliath, who continues to come and to taunt the Israelites. Who was ready to go fight Goliath? Nobody. Not David's brothers, not King Saul. Nobody in the Israeli army wanted to fight Goliath. Only David. And now David has his 30 and has his three. Not only are they ready to fight Goliath, not only are they ready to fight giants, they're fighting giants and they're trusting in God. Do you remember what David said? The same Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. Hey, there's another lion. Maybe we should be thinking about lions. Maybe David's men killed them all. The same Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. He trusted God. And because David trusted God, others did also. For those who are children of the king and those who are followers of the Lord Jesus, you want to be known for trusting in Jesus by your courage to follow God's will. Be known for trusting in Jesus for your courage, by your courage to follow God's will no matter what. It takes courage to do what's right and to speak up for the truth in the day in which we are living. It also takes great faith to follow God's will for your life. Here's a good indicator as to if you are following the Lord or not or being in the center of God's will or not because on your Christian journey, on every Christian journey, He's going to take you to a place to where you're going to have to face a giant or you're going to have to take a leap of faith and you're going to have to decide whether you're going to move forward and have greater faith and let your faith grow. I'm afraid that too many have decided that they will not face their giants. They will not take that leap of faith. They've decided they're going to live mundane life. They're going to live a life that is lukewarm, not moving forward and trust God like they should because it seems too hard. But you and I have the opportunity to be head and shoulders above most by trusting in Jesus no matter what comes and follow His will no matter where it leads. I think today the Lord is asking us, the Lord is asking you to take that step of faith. Trust Him no matter what comes. Will you do it? Do you have a favorite verse about trusting in Jesus? Feel free to insert it here if you do. How about 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12? But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced he's able to guard it until that day that has been entrusted to me. Or maybe some of your favorite verses from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. David had his 30 men. Parkway, we have our 30 men, maybe even more than that. Several years ago after reading this passage, I became kind of uh, convicted and convinced that I needed to do something with this passage and gather men around, not men necessarily ready to go into military battle, but ready to do spiritual battle, asking them to become prayer partners with me and with the church. And so I have, we have, you have, prayer warriors. Every day of the month, from the 1st to the 30th, on each day, there's at least one prayer partner who is praying for their family, they're praying for my family, they're praying for the church families with special requests that come along with that. And, and so there are people that are praying. Sometimes we have more than one. But every day, every month of the year, usually in January, I ask them if they'll continue. And I sometimes call them and have referred to them as the 30, even though the number has grown. They're not my 30, they're Parkway's 30, the Lord's 30. Though I do ask them to pray for me. Some who have been a part of this prayer partners 
uh, have already passed on, gone to be with Jesus. And others have stepped up uh, and taken their place. This is not exclusive. If you want to be a part of the 30, you can just let me know. These are things we're really doing, asking if you want to be a part. A couple of requirements. Uh, male member of Parkway to be a part of that. A couple of reasons for that. One of those is that I believe in spiritual leadership in the home and then the church needs to come with the, with the men as well. Plus, I'm usually texting or calling some of these, and I don't need to be texting or calling 30 women probably during the month. Probably You probably would agree uh, with that as well. And let's just face it. Men, we need to be encouraged to pray. But the second would be willing to pray for one day a month for a few minutes for your family, my family, the church family, and hopefully many more times than that in specific requests are welcome. One more thing about Parkways 30. Any success that we have had as a church, we know that it is to be attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ and all of His goodness. But it has, I believe, a, in the last few years, a direct correlation to the perseverance of prayer by men and women in this church and those who trust in Him. In one of the lists of David's 30, uh, it's found in 2 Samuel verse, chapter 23. It's the very last verse in that chapter, and it's the last name that is mentioned. They're already on your screen. And I'm sure it's not by coincidence. These weren't alphabetical. I'm sure it is by purpose. Very last, it's 37 in all, it says. It's Uriah the Hittite. Does that name sound familiar? I'm sure to help the reader to remember and us to remember that one of the 30 who were loyal to David and trusted God was killed by David after an affair that he had with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. A not so subtle red flag to remind us it's not about David, but it's about David's God. And not so much about David's sin, but about God's forgiveness, for we are all sinners. And you want to be known for one who's been forgiven by Jesus. For one who has been forgiven by Jesus. And how will you be known by that? By living your life transformed. For it is a life transformed that has been forgiven of sin is the great testimony to the world of the good news that offered through Jesus. David's Testimony in Psalm 51 is about how he had sinned and sought for forgiveness. I want to ask you, do you need to pray this prayer today? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior and Lord today, then today the Lord's calling you. Not just for salvation, not even just to get to heaven, although that is the greatest gift to be able to be with Jesus. But he's calling you to a different kind of living that is above what we could ask or imagine. In fact, he's calling all of us to that very kind of living. It may be the reason that we don't have more revival, more people coming to know Jesus today. It may have something to do with our attitude about asking people to come, we, Surely we want all people to be believers. We want all people to be able to follow Christ. But sometimes by our attitude, it is as if we're saying, you know, you can become a Christian and you don't really have to live all that much different than you've been living. All you've got to do is probably go to church more, maybe give a tithe, and those things are even optional. 
Oh, no. As I read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus is calling us to a very different kind of life, different than the one that you once lived, different than the rest of the world, so that all might be able to see that Jesus is your king. All might be able to see that you love people unconditionally, that we live by the truth of God's word. We're going to continue to lift up the name of Jesus and show people that we care for them and want more and more people to become like Jesus. And they'll see that we're different. Not because of anything about us, but because more and more we begin to speak and we act like Jesus the King. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to you today, we recognize your presence in this place. We thank you, Father, for the stories of the Bible, even the Old Testament stories that point to Jesus, that help us to recognize that Jesus is our King and our Savior and our Lord. We pray now, Father, that it may be our lives and our church that reflects more of a transformed life that will look more and more every day like Jesus. Help us to speak like Jesus would speak. Help us to act like Jesus would act. Help us to have the Christ-like attitude and have the mind of Christ that we need to have. And Father, if there's more and more listening today that do not know you as Lord and Savior, may they recognize the call to follow Jesus is a very different and radical call than anything else. Perhaps, Lord, that's what will cause more people to come to know you. Not so they can live a life mundane, but so that they can live a life totally different with a greater cause. Father, help that to be the message that we continue to share. And may even now, if someone doesn't know you, may this be the time in which they're calling upon you, asking Jesus to forgive them of their sins asking Christ to be Savior and Lord. This we pray in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Would you please stand? We're going to be singing our song of commitment today. We encourage you to continue to worship, for you to continue to do business with the Lord. If the Lord's asking you to make a commitment today, then make it. Maybe it's a commitment right where you are. Maybe it's one that you need to come forward. Maybe you need to come and pray at the altar today. If you'd like to come and uh, Some of our ministers are down here at the front. We will be worshiping along with you. Just come stand beside me or one of these and say, I'd like to talk to you about my faith. I'd like to talk to you about becoming a Christian. Or maybe even about becoming part of the family and a church member here at Parkway. We'd be glad to talk to you, tell you next steps for those very things. You come as we sing together.